Okay, it is Thursday, and on Thursdays we have ourselves a topical discussion, and uh, for our session this hour, marriage, divorce, and remarriage. Marriage, divorce, and remarriage. We've not visited that uh, discussion in a while, and so uh, I think it is important that we do, don't we? Yeah. In a um, world of confusion, in a fallen nation, uh, it is most important that the truth be upheld and uh, defended uh, and understood, obviously, you know. Uh, not in that order, perhaps, but uh, it's very important for us to have a humble heart to the information, the willingness to um, seek answers. And we will take, of course, this topical theme uh, with the understanding or with the assumption that those who do listen in respect honor the scriptures and understand that the 66 books of the Holy Bible are indeed inspired. Um, we'll take it from that point uh, forward, meaning for most of us who perhaps, of course, are believers. And we want to uh, be humble to God, uh, towards God, and, and want to know what the truth is. And um, we are willing to change the way we think in order to be pleasing to God, if need be, in this realm of discussion in regards to marriage, divorce, and remarriage. If you can, by all means, subscribe, follow, like, share, drop a comment, all that wonderful stuff. It helps the Added Souls Studio move further in reaching other souls out there like you and I who might find this kind of discussion very interesting. Uh, with the substance that can help us with practical application, that can uh, grow our faith stronger as you and I live under the dispensation of the Messianic Age, called to be good stewards of this age. And um, we are wise to seek the instructions of the scriptures in regards to all manners of life, uh, the experience of life and the purpose therein, and certainly that would not be void of marriage and divorce and remarriage. And to do so, we have to go way back in the beginning. That's where we need to find ourselves. Please consider signing up to addedsouls.locals.com. It's a freedom community there. We have the right to speak things freely. Uh, that would not be permissible on other platforms. So consider that if you do sign up freely, uh, you can choose to take a hold of the opportunity to support the Added Souls ministry through the Maya family, my wife and kiddos, as we labor alongside the East Coast Church of Christ. And the East Coast Church of Christ, you can find us on Facebook, and you can also check out the .com, eastcoastchurchofchrist.com, my personal website, addedsouls.com. And if you go to addedsouls.com, you will certainly find all the links there and uh, to all kinds of information you might find uh, beneficial, again, to your life and to your faith. So please check that out. There's also, of course, the PayPal option and a physical address. Just reach out, contact me. We can set up a video chat or a phone call or email exchange conversation, whatever, whatever works. Uh, we can make it happen. 
Marriage, divorce, remarriage. First and foremost, we must, again, take it from the position that we respect the Bible, that we know the Bible to be the penmanship of the Holy Spirit. It's a special book. It's an inspired book. It breathes information that we want to honor, we want to respect, we want to uh, read, we want to study, um, we want to believe, and we want to obey, if you will, apply in our lives in action. And um, we'll take it from that position moving forward. If you find yourself an individual who does not trust the Bible or perhaps has some great concerns about the information in the Bible, uh, you can reach out to us. We can send you some links, some studies, have a conversation along those lines, proving the fact that you can certainly trust the words of the Bible. Uh, and um, that is available to you. But for those of us who have done those studies and are ready for uh, the 66 books of the Holy Bible, in regards to the conversation, marriage, divorce, and remarriage, let us take a look at that. Starting at the very beginning, Genesis, the book of origin, the book of beginnings. Prior to any law set forth, if you will, mosaic, uh, and prior to any man-made management or micromanagement in regards to marriage, God had set forth the boundaries, the parameters, the conditions, and uh, what would come from his mind as he created us in his image. And the privilege and freedom, opportunity, blessing to find union in a matrimony, in a wedding, if you will, uh, or the commitment of union and uh, the wonderful joy that is found therein. We must go to the very beginning for that purpose and uh, simply understand the format or the creative process that was involved from the very beginning. That should, at the very least, give us some insight into the mind of God and how he operates in his nature, supernatural, yet for us in uh, creation to be submissive under the natural realm that we experience. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, it says, and I quote, and I encourage you all to read these verses, and to do so, of course, with a further understanding or study that the scriptures interpret the scriptures. If you seek to know what a certain verse means, read the scriptures and they will reveal what that verse means. It's about context. Sometimes we pluck out a verse and we formulate our own uh, interpretation according to our own image of what Christianity should be, and sadly we miss the mark. And we are misguided or misled and deceive ourselves into a worldview or tradition or a religious practice that would not be lawful, pure, or according to the doctrine of our Lord and Master. Now we are found in the Old Testament because in the Old Testament, of course, we can see the nature of God and we can find how he would reason with things mankind has done. And so that's important and understood through Paul's pen, writing to Christians so as to learn from the Old Testament. Though you and I live under the law of the 27 books of the New Covenant, we learn always also in accordance to the 39 books of the old covenant 
So though the 39 books of the Old Covenant are no longer our law in which we are bound by, it holds great wealth of inspired information teaching us, of course, of the coming Messiah and of the nature of God and of the sinful ways man uh, chooses to corrupt himself and God's remedy and law to uh, bring back out of chaos into a function functioning order uh, what is right, morally upright, and uh, straightforward, transparent, honest, genuine, authentic. And so, from the very beginning, in regards to the conversation we are going to have, marriage, divorce, remarriage, we must honor and respect Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, and I quote, it says, God created man in his own image, within the mind of God, he chose to create man in accordance to the ingenuity, the insight and wisdom, and the creative intelligent power of the great I am, the ancient of days. That is, of course, what makes us unique from the animal kingdom, per se, or the environmental beauty that we see all around us. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. Very important. Male and female. He, God, created them. Male, female, mankind. Human, human, male, female. There are no other genders. There never has. There never will be. There will always be two genders. No more, no less. Male and female. That is important. Verse 28, God blessed them. They were made privilege to the freedom of union. Together, as two become one, God blessed them in that union. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Not solely for the mechanical cause of procreation, but to truly embrace the joy, the experience, and the trust one must have in this union, this commitment. And fill the earth and subdue it, and rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over every living thing that moves on earth, or on the earth. This commitment is to be embraced with great joy, eagerly anticipating the experience within it, to cultivate and grow together. And there is work to do in a marriage, and there is a position of status in which mankind is blessed to have over the animal kingdom and the environment. Just here, in the opening text of Inspired Writ, the origins of our humanity is set forth and still remain and will forevermore, while God allows the earth to, um, to exist, to move forward. It's important because when we find ourselves so far from God 
in a culture that has fallen in deep corruption and perversion, immorality, we seek a path back to what is decent and true and real. And the book of Genesis is certainly a good launching area for that thought uh, process. And it is of no wonder, of course, that what is evil and fallen and corrupt in this world want us to uh, not take Genesis as a real account at all. This fallen world wants us to remove Genesis from its existence. And you can see why. That we were created in the image of God as male and female, and that we hold a greater importance, a unique importance to God, above and beyond the animal kingdom or the environment. And you can see clearly in our current day and age why that would be a very offending or an offensive truth that most reject. Nonetheless, to the conversation of marriage, divorce, and remarriage, these verses play a strong part in our understanding of the topic in the beginning and the creative process prior to any law straight from the mind of god male and female blessed to be one marriage union one one male one female we have to nail that in or we can't move forward here that must be a strong and accepted reality of our existence. It is an objective, absolute truth and standard we must uh, recognize, identify, discern. Male, female, from the very beginning. Okay. Now we want to move forward, of course, within the New Testament and the many conversations that have been had in regards to marriage, divorce, and remarriage. God, throughout the Old Testament, was true to his justice and commanded the people of God to stay away from the godless. Male believers in God ought not to be wed with women who were godless, and vice versa. It would contaminate the union, damage the structure, and cause a great many sorrows. It would be against God. Now in the new covenant, we can marry an unbeliever and still be lawful to our Lord and Master, Jesus Christ. Though, if we are um submissive to the wisdom of our lord and master and his father and the texts written in the 39 books of the old understanding the nature of god's wisdom for marriage we would be wise today still not to marry outside a believing mind and uh, that is not, of course, the topic of discussion this day, but we can certainly have a session where that can be proven with the evidence of the scriptures pointing it out.
but in the Old Testament, it was not lawful for believers to marry non-believers. It could cause a great many problems. And there was need for repentance of such union. And we can find, and there are numerous locations, but one location in particular found in Ezra, right? Chapter 10, verses 3 to 5, explain the nature of God's mind, which again, we must recognize this. God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. The mind of God within the 39 books of the Old Testament is still the mind of God within the 27 books of the New Testament. Though the law has changed, the covenant has changed, it is still the same God with the same mind and same nature. So, if there is wisdom to be understood and educated upon our thoughts in the Old Testament, it can certainly be practically applied for us under the new covenant and law of mercy and grace, which is not, of course, a permissible stance with a sinful lifestyle. It still demands repentance. It was in the 39 books of the old. It remains in the 27 books of the new. Repentance is necessary when sinful lifestyle is found active. In Ezra chapter 10, verses 3 to 5, it says, and I quote, and I encourage you again to read these and read them with more depth and time than I can offer at this hour. So now let us make a covenant with our God to put away all the wives and their children according to the counsel of my Lord and of those who tremble at the commandment of our God, and let it be done according to the law. You see, it's a matter of the heart. It always is, it will forevermore be a matter of the heart. We will have a bit of an excursion explaining that perhaps later, but it's a matter of the heart first and foremost. Where is your heart? Is it hardened? Is it stiffened of neck? Is it rebellious? Is it humble? Is it pursuing the truth? Is it seeking submission to our Lord and Master, to the great I Am, the Ancient of Days? That's an important question we need to look within to answer. Who are we truly before God? Are we seeking to please Him or ourselves? Will we believe the words of the Holy Spirit? Or will we neglect them, reject them, in order to cling to the words of perhaps family, friends, co-workers, neighbors, pastors, reverends, priests, popes, preachers, mankind? Or will we seek the mind of God? Each of us independent in accountability will meet God one day. And one must... Uh, due diligence in these studies to be found in fellowship with God through our Lord and Master, the Christ. So he says, our God, and let it be done according to the law. A matter of the heart, a matter of the law. Arise, verse 4, Ezra 10, arise, for this matter is your responsibility. But we will be with you. 
be courageous and act. Important information, practical application in our faith under the stewardship of the Messianic era, the age of the Christian, the age of the Christ. Arise, for this matter, is your responsibility, independent accountability. We have free will to choose to either remain in a unlawful wedding where children are involved or to obey God and separate ourselves from an unlawful union. That is our responsibility. But we will be with you. That is comforting. We are not to be heavy-handed. We are to be loving towards one another. Case-per-case account in which we must look at, each has its context, and we must be there as brethren in application to our Christian lifestyle, be there for one another who might seek from the heart to obey God and separate himself from an unlawful union, an adulterous union where children could be found. This brother or sister needs our love, our prayers, our kindness, our compassion, our thoughtfulness, our willingness to act in a helpful way. We will be with you. It's a very difficult and challenging and life-changing decision to remove yourself from an unlawful or adulterous union that may have been operational for decades involving children, involving family, community, employment. But again, back to the heart, how deeply do we love Jesus enough to be with him eternally? Arise, for this matter is your responsibility, independent accountability to all intellectual capabilities. But we will be with you. You will not be left alone in this decision, which is heart-wrenching, very difficult. We'll have, of course, much sorrow. But you don't need to go through it alone. We are here with you to make sure you follow Jesus. Make it to heaven. We're here for you. Be courageous and act. It takes courage to act upon this very truth. Then Ezra, of course, in verse 5, rose and made the leading priest, the Levites, and all Israel take oath that they would do according to this proposal. So they took the oath. Will you make this commitment to follow Jesus Christ? Will you make this commitment to understand that uh, uh, his love, his law, are uh, most important in priority within our lives? Would you be willing to, from the heart, understand and accept that if you are found in a marriage union that is not lawful, unauthorized, corrupted, perverted, adulterous? So the mind of God is certainly revealed. One need not question God in this department. He has made it very clear that even at the expense of uh, uh, separating an unlawful union, it is necessary in order to be pleasing to him in accordance to your heart and the law. Responsibility, courage, you won't be alone, we'll be there for you. We will help you through this process. So now we move forward. Again, remember the points and how we're going through this. Number one, prior to any law from the mind of God through the 
creative process in his image, male, female, united to as one. That is the order in which it has been from the very beginning pleasing to God and beneficial to us, great joy. Now we migrate to the New Testament to which you and I are submissive to the 27 books of its law. But it has to be accompanied with our heart. And now we take a bit of an excursion to that discussion before entering into the text of the New Testament. We are commanded in the New Testament, of course, to worship God in spirit and truth. Why spirit and truth? Because it must be with the right heart and the right doctrine. One can have the right doctrine, yet be void of the right heart. And Paul would reveal to the Corinthians such a man as being a noisy gong. We must have the right heart, the right motive of the heart, along with the right doctrine, the truth, which sets men free from the bondage of myth, sinful enterprise. It is most important because we have too many Christians who might academically understand the law very well. They can speak the languages, Hebrew, Aramaic, Greek. They might even rightly handle the texts in a very powerful, upright manner. But void of the proper motive of the heart, love, they find themselves noisy gongs and will not produce fruit in accordance to God's mind and will and pleasure. We must understand that. Christ came and, of course, spoke that very truth in Matthew chapter 6, very strongly, and also in chapter 5, or throughout the process, I suppose, I suppose in a broader brush with his sermon from 5, 6, and 7, in which he would say, You obey the law, in regards to an outward action. For instance, you have not murdered your brother, yet you break the law from within your heart, for it does not accompany your outward action. Within your heart, you hate your brother. And one, though may not act on that hatred with murder, there is a sinful practice found within that heart that severs one from God and his grace. So it's more than just not murdering your brother. It's love your brother from within your heart as well. It's more than just, well, I didn't cheat on my wife. Why am I being bothered here? I never fornicated with another woman. I've never committed adultery. And that is good. And that is true you should not. However, within your heart, you commit adultery. For you lust upon other women. You see how God was trying to wed us to the thought that he's always had for us from the very beginning. It's not only the law which must be upheld. It's the right heart along with the law. And sadly, again, many Christians, some elders, some preachers, 
some of high reputation in the brotherhood. They know the law very well, but they have no love, and the motive of their hearts is corrupt. And that indeed breeds, facilitates pharisaical, pharisaical uh, landscapes. Pharisaical individuals, they believe salvation is in the law. And because they know the law, they think salvation to be found within themselves. And by such act, void their salvation, fall from grace, and cause a great many sorrows in the church, in families, in friendships. It is most important we understand it must be with the right heart in accordance to the right doctrine. This plays a strong part in the conversation at hand, marriage, divorce, and remarriage. Moving forward, in Matthew chapter 4, verse 23, and before verse 23, the first recorded words of the Christ in regards to his ministry say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The information that he will be uh, uh, proclaiming with authority is in regards to the law of the kingdom that we must uphold, obey, respect, and honor. And in verse 23, it says, Jesus was going throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, in the location of religious assembly, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. In practical application, it could be the churches, obviously, in regards to the good news of the kingdom, the church. And that is important information because all that will be revealed and proclaimed with his authority is indeed something we must uphold and obey. So remember that, Matthew chapter 4, verse 23, which is why in chapter 28, verses 18 through 20, it says, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. The Christ here speaking, of course, to his apostles. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. It's not the angels, right? It's not Abraham. It's Jesus Christ and no other. For there is no other liaison to the Father. So all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe, pay attention now, all that I commanded you. Not some, not a portion, all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always even to the end of age. Important information in regards to the topic at hand. Christ has all authority. In what Christ says, we must be wise to uh, believe and to act upon. That takes faith. Do we trust him? Do we seek to please him? Do we seek to follow him? What's in the heart? Is the motive of our heart pure? Again, there are many Christians who know how to obey the law by showing up, 
at church each week. But if there is no love, if there is no love found within their hearts, it becomes mechanical, a noisy gong. It might bring attention to itself, obviously, but it has no substance to teach us anything. And the fruits it produces remain corrupt. It is wise, with this understanding, to cultivate in our youth the heart for marriage, the heart to understand marriage, the heart to embrace it, honor it. Its commitment is real and true, and to find great joy in marriage. To do all we can to preserve marriage and its commitment, to persevere as two become one. The stronger we have a congregation, and prior to the congregation, stronger we will be within the home unit teaching our children, and then to the congregation as a whole, as we grow a culture of family, greater will it be in joy, love, and unity, commitment. And that acts as an agent of precaution because we would much rather teach on the love and commitment of marriage than having to uh, constantly teach on the, um, well, how should I say this? I want to say it the right way. It's much more pleasing to be in a congregation of individuals who understand marriage and honor marriage and remain married than to be in a congregation in which you have to deal constantly with divorce, unauthorized marriages. Now we must teach the whole counsel of God and the consequences of divorce and unlawful marriages, certainly. We don't void one for the other. We must be balanced, rightly handled, seasoned. But you can understand the precaution that if we teach our children the beauty, love, commitment, union of marriage, then we won't need to deal with so many divorces and unlawful marriages down the road, speaking plainly in the common dialect. You understand that? In Matthew chapter 5, first we recognize the Christ speaking again in the manner of having the right heart along with the right law. You may have the right heart, but practice the wrong law. You might have the right law, but practice with the wrong heart. It must be a combination of the two. Henceforth, in principle, whoever believes one and is baptized plus one will be saved equals salvation, redemption. Whoever does not believe shall be damned. Why? Because the unbeliever will never trust Jesus in order to be saved. Important information in regards to marriage, divorce, and remarriage. Matthew chapter 5, verse 32, plainly speaks of the Christ, quoting now, But I say to you, see, you've heard it interpreted in a certain way, and you practiced it according to the various schools of thought that are in existence in the first century. But I say to you, the source of authority, deity, God, I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife 
except of course for one reason and that is fornication except for fornication makes her commit adultery and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery mankind has tried so many ways to remove himself from this purely spoken doctrine and that is sad that we would seek to go so far uh, from god in order to create christianity in our own image which is of course to please our selfish ambitions and desires the words of the christ are real and they certainly speak of the mind of his father for he would not speak anything that would contradict his father so when jesus said that everyone who divorces his wife except for the ex one thing that is fornication pornea makes her commit adultery and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery that is a plainly written verse and it means what it says and it says what it means and it is applicable it is enforced it is indeed law and to break this law would make one lawless a bit more information of course found in chapter 19 so commonly went uh, uh, so commonly quoted when this conversation comes up right matthew chapter 19 various schools of thought here trying to challenge christ test christ find favor in christ with a certain particular group either the sadducees or the pharisees or various other sees in matthew chapter 19 they seek to understand or they they seek to want to find christ uh, uh practicing favoritism which side do you take right that's the idea so some pharisees came to jesus testing him and asking is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason at all remember the pharisees would not accept divorce for any reason whatsoever and the sadducees would accept divorce for any reason whatsoever so there was a clash in the socio-political uh policies and enforcement of the day and um they wanted to know which side christ was going to take are you going to side with the sadducees that say you can divorce for any reason at all or are you going to side with the pharisees who say you can't divorce for any reason whatsoever and what does jesus say in verse 4 of chapter 19 have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female now you know why we began with the book of genesis very important because that's where jesus brings them and quite offending to the point these individuals would have considered themselves very scholarly educated how dare christ ask us if we've read the bible of course we've read the bible we know the bible well apparently they don't because they were interpreting it according to their own selfish desires and no longer with the image of god and the purpose of the pen have you not read that he who created them from the beginning created them male and female and said for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh he's going back to the very beginning no i am not going to side with the pharisees no i am not going to side with the sadducees no i will not side with any brother that violates corrupts the doctrine of christ in regards to marriage divorce remarriage and where does it 
come from? Where is the sourcing? His father from the very beginning. And we will go back to the very beginning for a brief moment in Genesis and uh, uh, elaborate in quoting chapter 2, verse 18. Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper uh, uh, suitable uh, for him. That's not only in the biological sense, because we are created we are engineered in such an intelligent way that both complement each other uh, biologically, physically, but it is also in the union of two minds becoming one mind. It's interesting. I've been married to my wife now since 2010, and we think alike. We've grown to think alike and to uh, truly have uh, become one person. And so I can understand the deep sorrow one must go through when that half departs this earth or sadly allows herself or himself to be corrupted by foreign uh, agencies infiltrating the marriage and causing a separation. Uh, there must be deep pain with that. When two become one, to sever that, I can understand why God would call that lawlessness, sinful. And then he says, of course, in chapter 2, Genesis, verse 21 and following, So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. Then he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh of that place. And the Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought, uh, and brought her to the man. Now the man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. For this reason, verse 24, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh, pure in heart one flesh you see from the mind of god in the very beginning this order was set forth prior to any law for it was birthed from the nature of god's mind and we must honor and respect that and here we are in matthew chapter 19 where the pharisees are testing challenging jesus in which side he will take Will he side with them? Will he side with the Sadducees? God says, I side with none of you. I side with my father from the very beginning. Have you not read the scriptures? Have you not read the mind of my father who has set forth male, female, husband, wife, two becoming one? And in accordance to that, he moves forward. And of course, they have argument and say, well, why then did Moses command to give her a certificate of divorce and send her away? And of course, he has an answer to that in verse 8. Because of your hardness of heart, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it has not been this way. In the mind of God, polygamous relationships were not permitted. Yet he suffered long through them. Divorce was not permitted, yet he suffered long through it because of the corruption of mankind. That doesn't mean it was not a sin that would sever one from God's grace and forgiveness. 
But you see now, he says to them in verse 8, because of your hardness of heart, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it has not been this way. And someone might have an objection who is seeking a... Um, someone might have an objection who is trying to remain in sin and not submit himself to the truth of the doctrine of our Lord and Master by saying, well, these words here for, were for the Jews only. They were Old Testament and they no longer apply to us. That is false. And that is the purpose why I made sure we understood Matthew chapter 4, verse 23, where Christ spoke the good news of the kingdom to all. No, it most certainly does apply for us this day still. What Christ said in Matthew 19.9 and Matthew 5.32 and various other locations we will be reading in the scriptures. I say to you, verse 9, whoever divorces his wife except for porneia, that is fornication, the strict literal physical act of intercourse, that is the only permissible exception to the rule, the law, fornication. And marries another woman, commits adultery. And of course, this is a very strong, a very strong law that is difficult for them to receive. In an era and time of the first century where divorce was rampant, and again, the pendulum had been swung too far on the left and too far on the right. The Pharisees said you couldn't divorce for any reason at all. And the Sadducees were saying you can divorce for any reason whatsoever. And Christ goes back to the very beginning with his father saying, listen, male, female, husband, wife, two becoming one. There's only one exception. Fornication. Porneia. The physical, literal act of intercourse. Now, of course, that's a difficult thing to embrace in a culture where divorce is just so rampant and, 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 and promoted and encouraged. And, and we live there again once. We live there once again in our culture. Do we not? Well, of course. So it's a difficult teaching to hear these things, yet still in our day and age, in our era, in our culture. For it is similar to the first century. So the disciples said to Jesus, if the relationship of the man with his wife is like this, it is better not to marry. If those conditions are true and real as you speak, then man, it's just best we don't get married at all. And of course, Jesus says to them, not all men can accept this statement, but only those to whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs who were born that way from their mother's womb, and there are eunuchs who were made eunuchs by men. And there are also eunuchs who made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. He who is able to accept this, let him accept it. Some are born with the condition that they need no marriage, will never seek it, have no, uh, no purpose for it. Some will be made eunuchs through divorce, meaning they will never be permitted to remarry ever again. And some, of course, will seek to remove themselves from marriage for the purpose of the kingdom. Either or, it's a very, very serious decision. 
and the disciples were being made of how serious it was. Because when you live in a culture and generation where marriage has become, oh, how, what should I say? Not important at all. It's just not a thing. People get married for a show, for the party, for selfish reason, reasons and ambitions. How many people will come? How much money am I going to make? How much of a show can we put on? And it has no true and real commitment. Eh, we'll try it out, but if it don't work, within a few years, we'll just divorce and go marry someone else. That's exactly what the devil wanted to destroy the commitment of marriage. You see, the law is there in order to cause fear in those who seek corruption. But to those of us who embrace the commitment and warmly receive the blessing and joy of marriage, we fear no law. The law is there for the criminals. The Old Testament law was for sin and death. Why do we not live by the Spirit in accordance to the New Testament law, which is life? Let us respect, honor, uphold marriage and its commitment. Let's learn how to make it work. It's so serious that if you do not understand this commitment, stay away from it. Stay away from it. It is a salvation issue. It will determine the consequences of your eternal abode, whether in torment or paradise, heaven or hell. And we are blessed with the free will mind to choose that path. And the disciples were having a hard time wrapping their minds around that, to which Jesus says, hey, it ain't for everyone. It's a difficult thing. But if you go back to the very beginning, God set it forth from his mind, his nature. And therein also we find principle to marry the right person, the right candidate. Marry someone who loves Jesus first and foremost, whose priority is Matthew 6.33, whose priority is to be faithful to Christ. You marry someone like that, and you will save yourself from a great many woes in life. We must teach our children to discern. Seek to marry someone who loves Jesus first and foremost. Not just someone who knows the law and obeys the law, but someone who does so with the right heart. Love. Love. God is love. That moves us forward to uh, Mark. To Mark. Matthew, Mark, chapter 10. Mark, chapter 10. And of course, similar, because of the account being witnessed, similar is the instruction. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. It is lawful because it was done so uh, by God. Marriage don't come from mankind. We didn't get bored one day and come up with it. This comes from God from the very beginning, which is why we began this session in Genesis. You see? What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. 
That is law. That is very straightforward. In the house of the disciples began questioning him about this again. And he says in verse 11 and 12, chapter 10 of Mark, the gospel of Mark, whoever divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if she herself divorces her husband and marries another man, she is committing adultery. That's very important to understand. I had to understand it as well as everyone else needs to understand it. You cannot divorce your wife or husband for any other reason than porneia, fornication, the physical, literal act of intercourse. If you do so, you make your husband or wife a eunuch. They will become the consequence to your unlawful divorce. It's not God's fault she or he can't remarry. It's your fault. You divorced her. You divorced him for unlawful reasons. That is important information for us to understand if we are going to teach our children the nature of this commitment. We move forward to Luke. Matthew, Mark, Luke. Luke chapter 16, verse 18, so plainly says, Everyone who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery. And he who marries one who is divorced from a husband commits adultery. If my wife and I divorce this day for any other reason than porneia, fornication, the physical, literal act of intercourse, then either neither myself or her are eligible for remarriage. That is law. It's not God's fault. It's ours. However, to the exception to the rule in Matthew 19.9, if I was having sexual intercourse with another woman that did not belong to me, and I am unrepentant, high-handedly rebellious with the act, my wife has the authority from her Lord and Master to divorce me. I stand damned before my Lord, and I am not permitted to remarry, but she is. If I am divorced by my wife for any other reason, she has made me a eunuch and I cannot remarry. That is not God's fault. That is her fault. That is the serious nature of this commitment to which his disciples, of course, had an objection. Well, if that's the way it is, I mean, it's just best we don't get married at all. Well, for those who can't handle it, you shouldn't go through it. Marry a faithful person who loves Jesus and will love you. And you won't need to worry about these things at all. 
My wife and I, we do not worry about this whole divorce thing. We will never divorce. It will never happen. That's the commitment we made. In our past life, yeah, we were Gentiles, we were heathens, but we understood one thing. Even among us heathens, there's still this code. You marry and you remain married. You love your partner, for two have now become one. You cannot, and many have tried, a great many academic minds with far superior knowledge than I can ever attain have tried to twist these scriptures time and time again to make them say something they do not say. And all sorts of objections have come up in order to utilize excuse for divorce in other ways than what is permissible. Well, what if there is physical or verbal abuse? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. The Bible answers it. Go away from that home. Leave the location and the individual. Do not divorce. Separate yourself from that very toxic environment. If you are being physically assaulted, you don't need to stay there. Separate yourself from that location. Seek the strength and guidance of a faithful church. You will, might need some legal expertise as well. You, you will need comfort, encouragement, understanding. And what will happen with the husband who may be physically abusive? He will repent or he will go on to another woman. And if he goes on to another woman, you have now been uh, qualified to the exception. You can divorce lawfully. There is always an answer when we are faithful to God. I assure you, there is always an answer, a path forward to persevere if we are faithful to God. In Hebrews, though the context was not directed per se to marriage, it was utilized in order to enforce the context, and it is certainly something we can recognize and apply. In Hebrews, right? Hebrews. I can get there. Hebrews, Hebrews. Okay, let me see here. My Bible has fallen apart, but I can't get rid of it. It's the one I've had since mom and dad gave it to me back in 1999. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4, right? Marriage is to be held in honor among all, and the marriage bed is to be undefiled. For fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. Why is it that this text would, in relation, have marriage alongside fornication and adultery? Because you can find yourself in an unlawful union practicing fornication and adultery. Um, it is most important to understand this information, right? I can't stress that enough. That's why I repeat it. Study it further. Look at it deeply. If we can respect and honor the doctrine of our Lord and Master, we will save ourselves from a great many woes 
Now it is true that some come to Christ, not have known this information. Some may come to Christ having been married, divorced, and remarried a few times, unlawfully. Can they still find forgiveness? Well, absolutely. They could have been married, divorced, and remarried 12 times. They can find forgiveness. But they must, out of scriptural necessity and command, remove themselves from an adulterous union. Even if that involves children, decades, decades in the community, it must be done if one truly loves Jesus and seeks to be with him eternally. It must be done. Marriage is to be held in honor among all, and the marriage bed is to be undefiled for fornicators and adulterers God will judge. The only exception to the rule is the physical, literal act of intercourse. Anything else is not permissible for divorce. Your husband is addicted to pornography? That's not permissible for divorce. Is he in sin? Does he stand damned before God? Yes. You may need to even separate yourself from him for a spell in order to pierce his heart into clarity and repentance. But it is not a permissible act of divorce. He is physically abusive. Remove yourself from that location in the hopes of repentance, counseling, therapy, perhaps a path to union once again. If not, I assure you, he will move on and find another woman, which will release you, of course, from that commitment. And death does not remove one from an adulterous activity. so many things if we are simply honest which is why i can't stress enough as the scriptures does as the scripture does the heart where is the heart is it humble is it seeking to be pleasing to god is it willing to change if we simply embrace the doctrine we will become strong once again in the household in the church in the community and as a nation there is a purpose the devil wanted to destroy the home, to separate male from female, husband, wife. Paul, guided into all truth, miraculously endowed by the Holy Spirit, Paul, who had all the teachings of Christ remembered in his mind. Paul himself speaking to Christians in Corinth did not in any way, shape, or form contradict what Jesus taught and was to be honored and respected. Commanded, obeyed. Not at all. Again, many brethren are corrupted and seek to find justification in unlawful unions. And it's all a matter of fleshly desires that are deeply woven at times in emotional investments. If you've been married to someone 30, 40, 40 years, you love deeply. 
You've got a life around this person. And the scriptures are telling you you must divorce because it's not a lawful marriage. Man, it's much easier to try to find a way to make the Bible say something it don't say so that we can stay together. I understand that. Which is why we must not be heavy-handed with brethren. In regards, of course, to this teaching. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, first and foremost, verse 9 says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor adulterers, and so on and so forth, a list of other sins, will inherit the kingdom of God. What did Jesus say in Matthew 4, 23? He was proclaiming with authority the teachings, the doctrine of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, the church. This is a law for everyone, Matthew 19, 9 would say, because it comes from the very beginning. It is pre-any law. It is from the mind of God. It is for everyone. Everyone. It doesn't matter which skin color you have. It doesn't matter which language you speak, which geographical location you are found, which background you, you were up, uh, your upbringing. It doesn't matter if you are a believer or not. It doesn't matter if you're a pagan or a, a Christian. It doesn't matter. This here commitment and union is for everyone, whether they acknowledge it or not. Whether you say, I believe in no God, I'm an atheist, and I was wed in a justice, in a courtroom, and so I don't believe in God, it doesn't matter. God has put you two together. That's, that's, that's it. That's the objective, absolute reality. Which is why, of course, in the account of Mark chapter 6, verse 18, John the Baptist was beheaded. He was telling, he was proclaiming and rebuking Herod and Herodias. Herod was having relations with his brother's wife. They were pagans. Why on earth would John have ever bothered to tell them the law if the law did not apply to the unbeliever? He did because he, it does. He did because it does. And it cost him his life. It cost him his life. Paul is not going to contradict any of that. Paul's not going to contradict his master, Jesus Christ, nor John the Baptist, who paved the way. He says it. Don't you know that the unrighteous, unrighteous, fornicators, adulterers, and of course, the list of other sinful activities, you can't inherit the kingdom. You cannot be faithful within the church. You won't make it to heaven. It's an objective, absolute reality of the doctrine. It must have the right heart and the right doctrine. And so in chapter 7, to which again many brethren try to go to and pluck verses out of context to find justification to remain in an unlawful marriage. Sadly, they do that. I understand why they do it. But they are forever lost for it if they don't repent. 
In chapter 7 of 1 Corinthians, Paul speaking to the brethren there says, But I say to the unmarried and to the widows that it is good for them if they remain even as I am. Paul's opinion to that end holds weight. Obviously, he's an inspired man. But if they choose to marry, it is of their conscience. It is of their free will. But to Paul's position, it's better if you don't. But if they do not have self-control, verse 9, let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Some of us men, we needed to marry. But we need to do so, not driven by lust, but driven by the mind that wants to choose the right partner, so as to seek ye first, Matthew 6.33. But here we go, the location and portion of Scripture at hand, verse 10. But to the married I give instructions, not I, but the Lord. This comes from God directly that the wife should not leave her husband. We cannot take that verse out of context and try to find justification with it in an unlawful, adulterous union. We cannot do that. That is a gross violation of the doctrine. A gross violation. That is not what Paul is saying here at all. He's not saying you have to remain in an, in, an, in an unlawful marriage, unauthorized, adulterous marriage. He Not at all. But to the married I give instructions, not I, but to the Lord, that the wife should not leave her husband. But if she does leave, she must remain unmarried, or else be reconciled to her husband, and that the husband should not divorce his wife. This here is with the understanding of Matthew 19.9. It is with the understanding that there is no contradiction between Matthew 19.9 and 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10. The wife here, the husband here, is not on their third or fourth marriage, unlawful marriage, I should say, because there are lawful uh, divorces, and sometimes... A, uh, the wife or the husband dies, releasing the union. And of course, the husband or wife that still lives chooses to find another union. There is no contradiction here. Paul's not rewriting the law, usurping authority over his master. But to the rest, I say, verse 12, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he must not divorce her. It's not unlawful to be married to a non-believer. The union still applies. But it is not unlawful because someone who perhaps comes to Christ and obeys the gospel and is now a Christian might say, well, my husband is a non-believer. What do I do? Do I divorce him? Because I believe and I follow Jesus, but he doesn't want none of it. So what do I do? Do I divorce him? No, you do not divorce him. You remain with him. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified through his wife. That doesn't mean he's saved or forgiven of sins because he's married to her as an unbeliever. Not at all. He is in a position that is uh, expedient to the truth because his wife is a believer. 
let me put it this way. Let me give you this one. The Jews were blessed because they were born uh, in the law. They were recipients of the law. They were born and raised with the law, in the covenant of the law, to, 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 to read it, to learn it, to write it, to, to, to proclaim it, to meditate upon it, to teach it. They had the blessing of the law. The Gentiles didn't, but the Jews did. An unbeliever married to a believer is blessed physically by the fact that his wife will live by, if she's faithful, mind you, will live by the law of mercy and grace and therefore make the gospel attractive to him. And so out of expediency, he is in a household where the truth is seen and experienced every day, every hour. And the unbelieving wife is sanctified, or sorry, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified through her believing husband, for otherwise your children are unclean, but now they are holy. Yet if the unbelieving one leaves, let him leave. The brother or the sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God has called us to peace. The priority is peace and to remain together, even in the household where there is an, a marriage union of a believer and a non-believer. Of course, that can cause great turmoil with the children and confusion, uncertainties. There is great challenge in marrying a non-believer or being married to a non-believer. And those who have lived it or those who are currently livid, if they are honest with you, will certainly tell you that. But if the unbeliever, and this has happened Someone, okay, a marriage union, a lawful marriage union, two unbelievers. Uh, they were, uh, of course, uh, um, they qualified for marriage, meaning they had not been divorced prior unlawfully or anything like that, but they are unbelievers. They don't believe in Jesus, but they get married. God weds them. Before God's eyes, they are wed. Whether they acknowledge that or not is of no effect on the truth. They are wed in God's eyes. And later on in life, one of them begins to read the Bible and see the gospel and seeks to obey the gospel. So as a repentant believer, confessing Christ as their Lord and Master, qualifying to be immersed, plunged, dipped, submerged, baptized, born again out of water and the Spirit, given the family name, Christian, added as a legal citizen of the kingdom, all, all those wonderful things taking place upon one's obedience uh, to Jesus Christ. Um she uh, is uh, now living a very different life, thinking differently, seeing things, learning how to live differently. But her husband didn't want none of that. I don't want none of that. And as a matter of fact, he becomes very aggressive and hostile and, and says, I'm just, I'm just going to leave you. I don't want to be with you anymore. Typically, statistically, this individual starts a an adulterous relationship with someone. He practices the exception to the to the rule, fornication, pornea. He will have physical, literal intercourse with another woman. Typically, that's what happens and just says to his wife, I don't want to be with you anymore. I'm, I've been with another one. I don't want to follow Jesus. You, Well, let him go. Let him go. He's just going to cause more problems with you. And I know that's a difficult one because you may have loved him very deeply. But you let him go. Again, nothing in the portion of Scripture and context of 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 8 through 
um, 16, violates, contradicts, or corrupts the teaching of the Christ, which goes back to the very beginning to his father. The doctrine is easy to understand. It really is. We, you and I, have made a mess of it and have muddied the water so badly that we must now go from case to case and sit down with individuals who need to understand this teaching. Um, I do know, again, that many brethren have corrupted themselves into believing all sorts of falsehoods when it comes to marriage, divorce, and remarriage. I, I've I've had to debate these brethren. I've had to mark them and avoid them. Um, some will have the argument and say, uh, baptism washes away the sins. And it does. But if you come up out of that water, washed of your sins, and you run immediately back to live in sin, then you find yourself one who has withdrew himself and returned to his vomit. What do I mean? Okay, let's say an individual is uh, a prostitute. Okay, a prostitution involves fornication and at times adultery, obviously. And um, adultery is always involving fornication, mind you, but fornication does not always mean adultery. Did you know that? I had to learn that. Adultery always involves fornication, but fornication is not always adultery. Nonetheless, a prostitute. Prostitution is a sin. It involves fornication, and at times fornication in the realm of adultery. Let's say a prostitute hears the gospel and believes the gospel and submits to the gospel in obedience and comes up out of that water, washed of sins, Acts twenty two sixteen, clothed with Christ, Galatians 3, 26 and 27, buried with our Lord and Master, Romans 6, 3 and 4, saved, 1 Peter 3, 21. And they go back to the corner and prostitute their bodies. Friends, they've withdrew themselves immediately once again from the love and grace of God because they high-handedly choose not to repent. And there is conversation to the effect of their burial. It may have been in vain if one does not repent. First and foremost, you won't be saved by Jesus. Um, okay, so here you have an unlawful marriage. And they come to Christ. And they are immersed into Christ. They are forgiven. But they return to the same home and the same bed and continue to practice adultery? No, friends. They're lost. They are lost. We've tried to justify adultery so many ways. And it's a matter of the heart. 
because we um, allow pride or selfish fleshly desires to take precedence and usurp authority in our conscience. And um, sadly, many, many, many people will be eternally lost because of this very topical discussion. They will die in an adulterous union. Um, I do believe this conversation should not be taken with a heavy hand. I do believe each case needs to be heard, right? There is a broad brush and the Bible certainly paints it. There's no way around that. What Jesus said in Matthew 19, 9 is, is the interpretation we all should heed to. And there's, it's a broad brush. It means what it says and it says what it means. But in the field of ministry with having a personal touch with each soul who is seeking to know the truth in that relation or is seeking to obey the gospel but has conversations in regards to I've been divorced before a few times. Can we have a conversation about that? Well, I think we should, most certainly. Uh, it must be taken a case per case uh, because some cases may have thought themselves unqualified to remarry. But when you look at the evidence and the chronological order of things that have happened in their past, they actually do qualify to be remarried. And sometimes you have individuals who thought they were qualified to remarry, but find themselves in an unlawful union. I would not want to be treated in an unloving way if I am the recipient of information that will demand my separation from an adulterous union involving children, involving decades of family and community. Most don't, in my limited experience, most have not. Most become very hostile and persecute the truth and those who proclaim it in regards to this topic. But some, I have witnessed some, have done what's right in order to follow Jesus. And remember, if you have to sever an adulterous union, that doesn't mean there cannot be friendship. That does not mean that the children cannot still grow with friendship. You cannot be in the same household and you no longer can practice physical, literal intercourse, but you can find peace and you can find joy and you can teach your children what has happened and why. We must find accountability and we must have the strength to stand up and do what's right. And that is indeed with the respect of each case being honored. And um, to those who have had to go through these very difficult and challenging moments of repentance, it is wise for us to embrace them, to comfort them, to be there for them in any way we can. Prayer, practice, kindness. They will perhaps need legal expertise. We can perhaps help them in that endeavor um, and truly be family truly be a loving family there for one another you see in a local assembly that is faithful and loving that understands that one must not only know the law but participate in the law with the love of christ in his or her heart 
When there is love, we will not be quick to dismiss one another and to kick one out the door. We will practice patience and long-suffering. When there is progress, there is hope. And we remain uh, united that way. The East Coast Church of Christ, to which I labor alongside with, is that kind of a congregation. We've been through a lot of sorrow at the hands of very evil individuals. But it has blessed us with strength in our faith and discernment and wisdom to be removed from what is hateful, to be embraced by the love of God. We cultivate family and the understanding of marriage. And we are growing for it in youth and unions. And it is wise that our Lord and Master built His church with the instructions of the Holy Spirit to have us embrace a loving family. If any of you are on the East Coast and you are seeking further conversation, you can certainly contact us and we'd love to sit down and study with you. The East Coast Church of Christ welcomes everyone who is willing to seek the truth and participate in a growing family with wonderful ministries hopes and goals. It is amazing what can be done by the works of God when all toxic influences have been removed and a humble seeking hearts are found. By all means, please consider subscribing, liking, sharing, give a comment. By all means, consider supporting this kind of work. You can sign up to addedsouls.locals.com and that helps me and my family put food on the table and continue laboring alongside the East Coast Church of Christ. You can find our Facebook page and uh, our .com site, certainly. My site is addedsouls.com if you want to check that out. That okay? So many other things, of course, can be said in regards to this topic. And uh, we are wise to look at all of them so as to not be found in confusion. Uh, but the law of mercy and grace, the law of the Spirit, is revealed. And it was indeed a commitment set forth from the mind of God from the very beginning. From the very beginning. Again, if we teach our kids this kind of stuff, we're going to save ourselves a lot of problems down the road if they can embrace this this love and they have to see it in the household too my children see the transparency and love my wife and i have for one another they they are cultivated in seeing that in such a way that they tell themselves i want my husband to be like daddy was i want my wife to be like mommy was i they, they can see that union that commitment that love that oneness together as husband and wife, male and female. We need to bring that back and very strongly, certainly in the culture we live in, which is so fallen. What do you guys think? That makes sense? Have I been fair? Have I been balanced? Don't take my word for it. Always go to the scriptures. Always go to the book. Look at the words. It is its best interpreter. 
have the right heart with it. That's all. Have the right heart with it. Stay focused. Stay positive. Lord willing, tomorrow we will have our sociopolitical conversation on Fridays, right? 10 a.m. Atlantic Daylight Time. We go live weekdays, Monday to Friday, 10 a.m. Atlantic Daylight Time. All right, man. That's about it. That's all I have. Peace out.